So you're not streaming this live or anything? No. Oh, I need to do my hair and everything. <laughs> Hi there, Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. This is episode number 49. We're edging ever closer to episode 50. You're listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Buying, selling, renting or investing in property. I'm sure we're going to have something in the next hour or so that floats your boat and lights that candle of yours. So this week's episode, what we've got is we've got a super episode with Rob Nixon, Robert Nixon, who's the director at Spears Gumley. He's the letting agent. This was the second go of this particular interview, having already deleted the interview when I did it probably about six weeks ago. It was quite interesting doing the interview for the second time. We didn't really touch on too much that we touched on in the first interview and we put it on the uh, on the Facebook page so you've probably seen sight of that if you are members of the Bricks and Mortar web uh, website and also the Bricks and Mortar Facebook page. So it's great. The, the, the thing that I really liked about Rob is that he took some time to identify what he wanted to do as far as his career was concerned. But once he'd angled at property, and in particular the lettings game, he decided that he would map his career out and he focused um, throughout his whole career about ensuring that he got the experience that he needed in connection with every specific aspect of the lettings game. So he started off in the busy West End office in Glasgow. He then did a bit of commercial letting and then he came back into the busy Glasgow office, went out to Bears Den and then a bit did, went over to Edinburgh to do the student thing. Just really smart, smart stuff. And the other thing that was great when we were talking to Robert was, was talking about his mentor, Debbie Rummins and how much he learned from Debbie. Uh, I know I've linked in with Debbie over the last couple of days. So Debbie, if you're listening to this, then we really do need to get you on the show uh, because I'm sure that that would just be a fantastic episode. So Debbie, if you're out there, then get in touch with me, LinkedIn, and uh, we'll see if we can get you on the show. Before we kick off the interview, interview is probably gonna last about 50 minutes or so. Before we kick off the interview, I've got to tell you a little bit about a closing date scenario that I had. Uh, this was a set of, of circumstances where a client had contacted me, usual story, property in the West End, just on the market, and everybody in their auntie seems to be um, creating a bit of a bun fight over this particular property. So we decide that we go in and we're pretty bullish seeing really what we were trying to do was to get the owner of the property to start to have a one-to-one -one negotiation with us. But in order for us to do that, we had to entice the seller into having a chat with us. And rather than showing our full hand, we just edged our way trying to get them to lock horns on a one-to-one -one negotiation. And we did that by putting a verbal offer in at five grand above the home report value, not the asking price, but really quite bullish, not at home report value. We went in at five grand above 
That was rejected. We had a bit of a conversation. We then went up. This is admittedly uh, probably two or three days into the marketing client with Mad Keen on the property. So we went to 10 above, uh, 10 above home report value. Again, clients rejected that, but said, listen, we've already had another offer in and it will go to a closing date. Admittedly, they didn't tell us what that closing date, but you know, when an estate agent says it's going to go to a closing date, the expectation is that it will go on to a closing date. So was waiting for the details of the closing date only to get a voicemail late this afternoon to say that they'd accepted an offer. Just what is going on with things at the moment? You know, it's absolute madness. We've got a system of closing dates that gives everybody an opportunity to bid when the closing date is called. And I, listen, I know as better than, than most, you know, the rules of the game. But for goodness sake, if an estate agent tells you that there's going to be a closing date, you're not going to show your hand. Yes, the, claims, the, the estate agent didn't actually specifically say when the closing date is. But if the, close, if the estate agent is going to tell you that there's going to be a closing date, then your expectation is, and you tell the client that, that there's going to be a closing date. So I'm going to have to go back to him tomorrow and explain that he's been, it's not even gazumped, it's not even gazundered, it's, it's just a piece of nonsense, that's what it is, just a flippant piece of nonsense. So that's my rant over, I'm going to get the soapbox, get off the soapbox and let's start listening to a bit of sense from Robert Nixon. Right, well, good afternoon. It's Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. This week, we've got the pleasure, this is the second time we've done this interview, so um, we'll be treading over the same old ground, I'm afraid, but that was my fault because I deleted the last interview. But we didn't do the interview on uh, on the videos on the Facebook Live, and that's what we're going to do today. So I'm with Robert Nixon of uh, Spears Gumley. And Robert, you are the uh, lettings director of that particular... Uh, certainly am. Excellent, excellent. And I tell you what, you've probably, well, you will see, of course, because you're watching this. It says here, customer service is not a department, it's an attitude. So talk us through that. I mean, that's just a great statement. It is a great statement. It's a really big thing for us as well, because I think a lot of people, you know, in, in the business world, the thing, well, customer service, that's where all the complaints and everything go. If you get a complaint coming in, it goes to the customer service department, but yeah. it shouldn't really be that. I mean, the service, you know, as we have up there, it's an attitude. It's not a department. Yeah. You know, we don't have a customer service department. Everybody takes ownership of a complaint that comes in. It will go through, or even an inquiry that comes in. It all goes through the right channels. It doesn't just come off of someone's desk and go straight into a department. Yeah. Uh, so as I say, that was for us. We've got uh, these murals out throughout the building uh, with the same things, just reinforcing to staff that it's an attitude customer service. Uh -huh. It's not a department. It's all about how you deal with that customer. And, and that filters through the whole of the, of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, at the moment, am going through some issues with various broadband uh, providers 
and we jumped from BT rather stupidly to Virgin. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, Virgin are absolutely, or my view of them, absolutely appalling. Apart from this one guy who I spoke to last last night called Tristan, who who actually just turned around and said we were at fault. In essence, how much money do you want? Um, and we're the bad guys. And I was so flabbergasted by his attitude that was so contrary to the attitude that I had that any of the other parties that I'd spoken to in Virgin had. So it is, attitude is absolutely vital. And you can, if you can instill that in your staff, then you've got half a chance. And it's taking the ownership of it as well. You know, we're not a sort of, we're not a business that will hide away from anything. Yeah. If any, in any business, if you know, if you look at it and somebody's done something wrong, you know, the first thing you want to do is say, do you know what? We've made a mistake here. Mm-hmm. Let's look at fixing it. Yeah. Uh, and as a business, we put ourselves out there. You'll have seen on our website, we have all the directors, all the staff on there with emails, contact addresses. Yeah. So it's not as if people can't get a hold or can't get to speak to the owner or the managing director or myself or any of the other members of staff. So we put ourselves out there to be contacted as well to show mm-hmm. that we're not a faceless business. We're very much a face a face-to-face business. Yeah. And it's that attitude that comes from, you know, Lorraine as the owner of the business through the directors and it filters down to the rest of the staff and that's how a lot of the staff have been here for 10, 15, 25 years because they all buy into that attitude that we've got in the business. And you've been here for how long? Yeah, I've been here for just over three years. It was three years in June uh, that I started here. And property wasn't your first thing? No, property, believe it or not, property was not not my first love. It was one of these accidental things. Right. When I was at school, uh, I left school and I wanted to be a personal trainer. So right. I did a week's work experience at the Marriott Hotel uh, down in Argyll Street. And then after that week's work experience, uh, they offered me a full-time job, which was great. Uh, my dad, he ran a successful business, uh, a successful building company. Right. My sister, she was a qualified quantity surveyor and then moved into construction dispute resolution, uh-huh. dealing with arbitration, mediation uh, and adjudication. So the family always thought that I would eventually. move into that kind of property uh-huh. a cycle but for me I rebelled and I suppose if you ask anyone in the family I'm probably the rebellious one right, okay. so I decided to go down a different route and I right. was there for I think it was in the Marriott for about four years and it was one of the guys that I worked with uh, there Andrew Watt who now owns a residence oh, right. agent out in Hamilton yeah, yeah, he yeah. had left uh, and went to be a valuer at the Rob Agency Back in the day, yeah, back in the the early 90s, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, And he'd phoned me to say, Look, I need somebody to help out doing admin stuff in the office. Do you want to come on board? So I went out and started then in a state agency. Wow, worked for Rob Agency for a couple of years, okay. Left them, went and joined uh, Ross and Liddell in their commercial department, factoring for a couple of years, Uh, and then from there, I moved on to Countrywide Letting. Uh, which was very brief. I was only there for about 12 months. Yes. Uh, and then the real, I, th- I think for me, the real career turning point in lighting was when I joined Clyde uh, in the early 2000s. Right. Uh, into their residential lighting department. Uh, but it was always lighting. That was, yeah, it was what always you fell into. Right. I okay. kind of start, kind of dipped my toe in with the state agency. Yeah. Uh, and then went to factoring. But when I joined Countrywide uh, in residential lighting, I thought, you know, this is actually for me this type of property. I didn't want to do a state agency, didn't want to do surveying. Uh-huh. I thought that the letting had a real vibe and a hustle and bustle about it. And yep. 
I suppose in an instance you get to be nosy as well because you're in and out you're in and out of people's properties <laughs> absolutely it's one of these things looking at wallpaper and going that would look quite good in my lounge actually if you're in any way involved in property you have to have that sort of nosy attitude yeah. it helps dramatically doesn't it so yeah it wasn't as I say it wasn't my first love it was accidental that I kind of okay. went into uh, went into property and so timelines then Rob Agency for how uh, long I was there for a couple of years so that was about 90 god when did I leave there I think it was like 97 to 99. Right, okay. Uh, I was at the Rob Agency. So lettings are still very much at that stage, the ugly sister, the money's always coming in, but it's not the thing that people are shouting from the rooftops, you know, the likes of Rob Agency, Clyde, um, Slater Hogg, they were always deemed to be estate agents first yeah. and foremost, but that obviously changed as things Hit the the, the well, skids the, the, sort of two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. A lot of the a lot of the smaller companies, the estate agents and lighting business, is went out of business mm. uh, because of the downturn downturn in the market. But yep. Clyde, you know, when the estate agency market uh, took a, a dip, they were fortunate. They had a really big lettings division, Luke, yep. which helped. You know, they had at that time. God, for 1,600 properties. Okay, so it's steady income yeah, yeah, coming yeah. in every month, and it was a. A culture shock for a lot of people, but it was an eye opener that this is steady money uh-huh. that's coming in every month. Yeah. Yes, you might be out counting spoons, checking mattresses, you know, <laughs> lifting couches. But it's eight percent at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, it's it's steady income yeah. coming in, and I think the industry has now woken up to that. Mm-hmm. That if you have a very strong estate agency arm and an also a very strong residential letting arm that's a good business mm. model that you've got there absolutely I mean it's almost like a sort of passive income that as soon as you get out of your bed on the 1st of January you know how many properties you've got yes they might the odd one might fall off yep. but if you're doing a good job why wouldn't the landlord want to continue to employ you um, and you've you almost yeah, a great business model and also a great business model to be able to sell that on because I don't know you probably know better than I but certainly when you're selling that kind of, of lettings book, each property is worth a certain amount of, of money. I mean, yeah. I was told £500 a property at, at one stage. I don't know if well, it's, it's still something like that. You're usually around about 1000 to 1200 wow. okay. I mean, it's probably more in, more so in Edinburgh because they've got higher rentals. Yeah, yeah. So you want to look at their average rental that's coming in against the amount of stock that they've got uh-huh. as well. And, you know, buying residential letting businesses, it all seems very good on the surface. But you want to do your due diligence mm. first of all, and for me, I'm always a stickler for the due diligence, making sure all the safety certificates are there. How yeah. long's the tenant been there? Yeah. Are all the deposits protected? You know, that's the sort of stuff that you should be doing mm-hmm. before you go and what, spend the money on a business. Well, everybody knows that the due diligence is absolutely vital, um, and, and probably everybody knows in the lettings game the countrywide and merchant lettings where they maybe necessarily didn't do their due diligence and there was all sorts of shenanigans going on there at some point. So due diligence is absolutely key. But I think back in in that scenario, um, I think that we didn't have the deposit scheme, but now we've got the deposit scheme. So, you know, letting agents now have to ensure that they've got the deposit in the deposit scheme so it's not as if they're going to be using that money to 
bolster the firm yeah. with so many firms and, you know, back in the way. A lot of agents were against the deposit schemes coming in. Yeah. Because obviously the deposits were then going from the agent's bank account and sitting with Well they couldn't use it yeah, to go and buy flats. They wouldn't be using it as cash flow, <laughs> it's sitting with the deposit scheme. Yeah, but yeah. for me, you know, when it came in in twenty twelve, the biggest part of the deposit is when you're returning it and you're arguing with everybody over it. Yes. You know, you're arguing that it wasn't clean at the end and they're arguing oh it was clean and everybody starts to then throw up well my heating wasn't working for two weeks or all these sort of things and you were getting embroiled in it and if it was students that were in it well you were getting embroiled in it with all their parents as well whereas the great thing about the deposit schemes is it will then get sent to an adjudicator who who I believe sits in a very dark room and has no information apart from what is provided to them yes. and they'll make a, a judgement call on it uh-huh. so it takes it right out of the agent's and yeah. off the agent's desk and from your perspective as director here a lot of adjudications happening I mean are you getting a lot of, of disputes with not really tenants? I mean we probably only get about 10% that goes to adjudication okay. and the reason that that uh, figure is so low is we do a very tight inventory at the beginning. You've got photographs. We've got photographs, we've got a uh, well-written inventory Mm -hmm. uh, as well. We meet the tenant at the property on the day that they move in. So we show them round the property Mm -hmm. as well. And when we're moving them out, we go round with them with the inventory that they've signed. So generally any issues are dealt with at that point. You know, you say that skirtings need cleaned or the fridge needs cleaned. Yeah, okay, well, I agree to that. Yeah. And then once the invoices come in, we'll send the tenant a copy of them uh-huh. before we even apply for the deposit to be returned. Yeah. So generally, when we apply for a deposit to be returned, the tenant will log in and accept it. Uh-huh. It's really only if it's a tricky one, if they've damaged the property and they said it wasn't them and you're then arguing, well, it wasn't like that at the beginning. Here's the here's the photograph. Yeah, and that's how we key. always believe in having the written and the photographic yeah. inventory as no, well, which is key. Crucial. You know, looking at words on a bit of paper, for me, I'm a visual person. I'm all about pictures. Mm-hmm. So if you show me a picture that is of a wall that's got no damage in it and then at the end there's damage in it it's, it's, pretty, straight, it's pretty straightforward yeah, yeah, yeah. you know there's a big gouge out the side of the uh-huh. wall it wasn't me well you will always, that's not what the photograph yeah, you will says. always get the tenants that say that will just for the sake of it send it to adjudication uh-huh. yeah, and see what the adjudicator comes back with yeah, yeah. And for us it's all about making a really hard case at the beginning of a tenancy which makes our life a lot easier yes. at the end. Uh-huh. Uh, and I guess from the adjudicator's point of view, um, if you've got a set process that you've got this, this, this and this, the adjudicator will will see, oh, that's a Spears Gumley adjudicator, Spears Gumley, um, they will be expecting that to be there. And if, yeah. if, if that's there, then... It's almost as if the tenant's probably on the back foot already because you've got the process nailed down and you've got all the evidence there. So the adjudicator's not then having to phone you up and say, well, where's the photo for the, the, the fridge? That's, and that's exactly it. You yeah. know, the process that we've got, it's a standard one that, I mean, we use My Deposit Scotland and we always have since 2012. Yeah. And it's a standard process that we go through internally. You know, your inventory's there, your pictures are there, your lease is there, a copy of your routine visits and uh, forms throughout the tenancy are all there yeah. as evidence. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And for us, we're not going to bog down the adjudicator with reams and reams of a story. No. It's, the property wasn't clean, here's the evidence. Yeah. There was damage to the door, here's the evidence at the beginning, here's the evidence at the end. Absolutely. I've seen uh, screeds and screeds coming in from tenants 
uh, going through adjudications and you look at it and they, they refer back to, you know, it took three days to repair a washing machine, but we're actually the adjudicators looking at a cleaning issue. They're not looking at a washing machine. Uh-huh. And I think that's where we probably win a lot of the cases is we concentrate purely on what, the issue. what the issues are. We yeah. don't get involved in the tenant didn't pay the rent for a week or they're in arrears. Uh-huh. We're only interested in the issues. Yes. And, that, and at the end of the day, that's all the adjudicator's interested in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They don't want a story. They just want to know what's the facts so yes. that they can make a decision on Absolutely, it. Absolutely, because they know that they've got 15 to do in the day. Yeah. Just get through it. And they know that, you know, we've been working with my deposits for a long time and they know what sort of process to expect from us to get yeah, through. Yeah. Uh, and it'll all be the exact same all the time as uh-huh. it comes through. Good so stuff. it's helped us have a low, uh, a low adjudication rate. Yeah, yeah. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at Rob Agency, then we're on to Ross and Lido, then we we land at Clyde? Are we yeah, there? well, Countrywide was just in between there for 11 right, months. Okay. Uh, and then I think it was 2002... If I remember correctly, that I joined uh, Clyde just and, as a property manager. And the process of sort of headhunting, were you looking for something? How does that? I'm always interested in how but people get jobs. It was back. God, it was back in the day when people actually advertised in the papers. Right. Uh, I think it was in the Bears Den and Mogai Herald. Yes. Uh, that Clyde had advertised. People. People did used to do yeah, that. People used to advertise <laughs> jobs in, in, in the papers. Uh, and I had said. They used to advertise properties in the papers yeah, as well, well, I remember. Well, the Evening Times, they used to do it. Yeah, you had to put your line out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuesday, you got all your properties in the yeah. Evening Times. Uh, Back so in the day. It's a changed world now, isn't it? <laughs> Everything's online. Um, yeah, so you got the ad in the Mogai yeah, so and Bears Den. It's in the Bears Den and Mogai Herald. Yep. I sent in my. A covering letter with an application. Mm-hmm. Uh, got an interview with Debbie Rummins, who was the director uh, yeah, yeah. of Clyde Property uh, Letting. We then had an interview with her, and that was it. It kind of started uh-huh. uh, from there. And I think it, for me, looking back, that was probably a real pivotal, pivotal point mm-hmm. because Debbie's been a great mentor to me over the years. Okay, yeah. uh, and at various businesses that she's worked at. I've been hunted, headhunted, mm-hmm. and moved on to those businesses right. uh, as well. I mean, I was at Clyde for I think five years, and finally, when I when I left Clyde, I was running their repair centre up in Craig Hall when they had their purpose-built office. Yeah, and Debbie had just bought over the business and property bureau in uh, Mogai Road in Bears oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and had phoned me and said, "Look, I'm looking for somebody to come and give me a hand. Do you want to come and help me?" Went and had a chat with her, ticked a lot of boxes. I was at that stage in my career where I was looking for something a wee bit more, mm-hmm. a bit more responsibility. So went and worked with her for a couple of years there. I was in holiday, I think, one of the day, one of the times, and she'd sent me an email to say, I've decided that I'm going to sell the business. Uh, I'll discuss it with you when I come back. So I'm sitting on the poolside. Enjoy your holiday. Uh, got the email going, right, okay, I knew you were thinking about uh-huh. it. Uh, but then she sold the business off to three of the ex-directors from Clyde. Yes, uh, yeah, that's right. Martin Smith, Martin Turner and Alan Burke. Uh-huh. And it was after that she went and joined Grant Property in Edinburgh. And oh, okay. phoned me right. and said, look, do you want to come through and help us here? And I thought, you know, it's through in Edinburgh, uh-huh. travelling back and forth. Yep. I had never worked in the student market before. It was kind of okay. one area that I had never covered. And I thought, well, if you're going to be an all-rounder, you might as well... I've done the student life. I think it's all important that what you need to be doing is trying to master everything that you've got in, in front of you and become a, a master of you know 
lettings so you yeah. know absolutely everything about lettings there's no point in pitching your home saying well no I only deal with high end stuff and I think you've got to have an understanding of the whole market and I think that was for me when I looked at it and went well that's the only bit on the CV that isn't ticked isn't it dealing it? with students the HMO licences all of these things that go with it yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah I took the punt uh, and I travelled back and forth to Edinburgh for three years cool. uh, driving I used to leave at half six in the morning park my car at Gorky Road and walk up be in the office for nine mm, left at half five tough, tough home for half seven eight o'clock uh, because I wanted to do it yeah. uh, that was at the point that the reason I was doing that is because I wanted to do it uh-huh. and I think latterly uh, they had decided well going to Edinburgh every day is a big journey uh-huh. is it a happy medium and at that time our Glasgow office uh, at Grants was looking after the Glasgow and Stirling portfolio mm-hmm. and we thought well if we're going to be the best at what we can as, as we can be yep. you want to have an office in the area that you're working in so at that point we opened up the Stirling office and I managed uh, the Stirling office we took the stock from Glasgow and put it into the Stirling office, I think, yeah. with about 120 units. And when you were in Edinburgh, they must did you make sort of overtures that, you know, the travelling's getting a bit... I think they could see that it was, yeah, starting to, yeah. it was starting to great after three years uh-huh. of back and forth. Yeah. And it kind of fitted with their business model at the time. And did you feel that, yeah, were you ever thinking that Edinburgh was going to be your final resting place, place as, as far as when you was grants or was that just going to be a stepping stone and you always knew whether it was with grants or some other company that you would always come back to the West? I think Edinburgh was going to be a stepping stone. Yeah. I had never worked in the Edinburgh market before so uh-huh. I learned a huge amount working with grants over the years yeah. in the Edinburgh market but for me it was always about coming back to Glasgow mm-hmm. and how do I go about doing that? Yeah. So starting off in Edinburgh and then coming back a wee bit to mm-hmm. Stirling mm-hmm. and then I was looking towards laterally I was looking well how do I get back to Glasgow and it was only when uh, I was approached by a recruitment consultant to say that there was a job uh, available at Spears Gumley would I be interested Uh in it I thought right okay they're based in the city centre for me the next move at that point was was going to be the final move it needed to be a really good fit not just for the fact that it was a company back Uh in Glasgow their values and morals needed to fit with me as well. Yes. You know, at that point I was what late thirties. I don't want to be jumping in about from job to job no, in my forties. That's when your CV starts to look a little bit ropey. I remember as a trainee solicitor, I came out um, ninety two, ninety four, and wanted to get into resi conveyancing, and there was just nothing there. So I ended up having to take a job as a civil litigation solicitor, which I absolutely loathed, um, and then I ended up dotting about for about two years I end up having about two or three jobs and when you start looking at a CV I think for maybe the first four or five years of your career then future employers are saying well if as long as there's a reason for you to decide to move and you can explain that Mm -hmm. away as long as you get in front of them for an interview as long as you can explain that away then I think after that period you've got to start staying somewhere for three years or five years so that you've got some stickability because the last thing an employer is wanting is for somebody who's just going to you know bugger off after well that's a year that's the thing and as I say it was when I looked at it, and you know, I got the job spec through. I came in and met Lorraine McDonald, the owner yep. uh, of Spears Gumley. She just, you know, Lorraine's a, a straight shooter. Just told you exactly what it was, what she was looking for. Yep. I came out of, I came out of the meeting. I thought, you know, this is a really good company to work for. You have the owner of the business 
doing the interviews she knows exactly what she wants yeah. I tick all the boxes yes it's in Glasgow but whether it was in Glasgow or Stirling it was still a company that I was wanting to work for uh-huh. uh, and I looked at their values my value everything just seemed to, it was at that point yeah. that it all just seemed to so, so come when together you, so when you came out to the interview was it a case of that's the company for was no hesitation for me none at all for me that was the company that I wanted to uh-huh. work for the interview that I, I mean it was only I think about a 40 minute interview I had with yeah. Lorraine and yeah. when I came out of it you could feel and get you know you could tell, tell her passion for the business yes. how she wanted to grow the business uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I think at that point uh, what 2014 they only had 220 230 properties yeah, so, not so they were looking to portfolio. grow the portfolio yeah. uh, and that's something that I could bring to the table with them uh-huh. and yeah I just came out and I thought I don't want to phone the recruitment agent and say oh I was dead good I didn't want to show my hand too quickly but when I came out I thought this is really the company that I want to work for yeah, yeah. checking my emails to see if I had an email update from the, the recruitment uh-huh. people and it was the next day that they had phoned me and said obviously they want to offer you the job so now you're all sitting on the faces uh, on the, uh, here as the director okay and let's talk a little bit about recruitment agencies because they are to me they are the scourge of <laughs> of the employer great for the employee but once you become the employer they're always nipping away at your employees I mean certainly from and I'm talking here from sort of legal perspective if you're an employee, I remember back in the day, they're never off the phone. They're like, to me, they're akin to um, uh, football agents. They're always looking for the next big They were always looking for that, and they know that if they can get you, then they've probably got a commission there, but then they know there's a seat to fill, and so therefore they can work on on that. Yeah, do you know, when we do... Are you happy? Are you you happy in your job? They used to phone you up. Are you happy? I've got this opportunity for you. I'm just going to send you an email. Just have have a look at it. it. Just open Pandora's box. Don't get me wrong, even still, I mean, I love uh, what I do. I love uh, the company that I work for. Uh There are still times where you'll get a phone call from somebody, a recruitment agent in the uh-huh. past, or an email coming in saying, look, are you interested in this? And what's your personality? Because my personality is very much, well, maybe have a little look. Do you know, for <laughs> me, I always look at it anyway, but yeah. I know that I'm comfortable and I love what I do. And, yeah. But it's always interesting to see what's still out there. Uh-huh. And it always uh-huh. gives me a kind of a sense of pleasure that you can go back to them and say, do you know, no thanks. thanks I'm for, actually happy Thanks here. for thinking about me, but yes. I love where I am. It's a great uh-huh. fit. But not for me. You know what? It's maybe no, no bad idea once in a while to actually have that sort of jolt that says, you know what? Am I happy here? Uh, am I doing what I want to do? Um, I think that's maybe no bad idea. So I take that back. <laughs> I take that back wholeheartedly. They're, standing up they're for very good. Agents. They're very good agents. But they, they do serve a purpose. Yes. Uh, we very rarely use uh, outside uh, recruitment agencies. So how would you recruit then? Well, generally for the, the last couple of posts that we've done, it's been through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the negotiators that I took on, Suzanne Kerr, she'd been, we took Suzanne on two years ago. Yeah. Uh, she'd been with Clyde for 21 years. Oh, okay. And I, I'd known Suzanne all throughout my time at Clyde. Mm-hmm. And I just had a chat and a coffee with her one of the days to say, look, this is a role that I've got coming up. Would you be interested in it? Mm-hmm. She said yes. We got her in for a formal interview, yep. and it went that way. I'm a great believer in using your contacts. Absolutely. You don't really. I suppose for me, you know what you're getting if you know who it is that you're employing. Mm-hmm. And as I say, we very rarely use 
outside sources yeah. because it'll be somebody that we know that fits with our value they've all got to fit with the values that we've got here yeah. uh, and that's what that's what we do we'll, on occasion we'll put a job on S1 home S1, uh-huh. S1 jobs and we'll manage all the CVs and everything that come in but with S1 homes it's you're out there in the public eye why not just put it on Facebook and LinkedIn because then you're looking at people who you're linked in with and so you've surely got a better chance of a hit rate next social media avenue yeah, yeah. that's what we've started to do uh-huh. for some of the other jobs as well we'll put the post on LinkedIn we're hiring we yeah. catch a picture on there as uh-huh. well uh-huh. and you'll start to get uh, inquiries and CVs coming through yeah. it's all about using your contacts mm-hmm. and using you know the business initiatives as well you don't necessarily need the recruitment agents not that they don't do a good job, <laughs> but you don't necessarily need them if you're well connected. Yeah, and agreed. That's what we build the businesses on. You know, somebody will know somebody uh-huh. that might be unhappy where they are. Yeah, you get them in for an interview. They may not fit the values that we've got. If they don't, then that's that's tough. That's fine. You know, for us, it's all about they've got to have the personality, they've got to have the drive, they've got to fit our values uh, as well and they've got to have some experience yeah. uh, in the industry I mean the staff that we've got downstairs we've got a team of eight and if you added up their letting and property experience I did this for a survey last week it was 120 years wow. of lettings and property experience that our residential letting team have mm-hmm. and if you took it as a business as Spears Gumley it would be hundreds and hundreds of years. See, you so much take that box of trusted advisor because if you can go and, and you're on a pitch with somebody and you can actually say that and demonstrate your team has got this, 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 this you know, you're already ahead of the game for other letting agents who maybe don't have And there that is history. times, don't get me wrong, I've been out to valuations and pitches uh, with our, you know, whatever rate that we are going to charge and the clients come back and said, well, this estate agent or this letting agent down the road is doing it for £150 less. Mm-hmm. Can you match that? And for me, it's always a no mm-hmm. because the service that we deliver and the costs that we charge to the landlord, I feel are fair. Yeah. They're transparent. You know, they, they sit well with our business model. Yeah. And why should I reduce it £150 for one, for yeah. one guy yeah. just to get that bit of business? Absolutely. If you're confident in the ability to offer the services that you do, uh, then why? Reduce and believe it or not, that client came back to us and said, That's fine, I'll go with you. Yeah, just by sticking by our morals uh-huh. and what we wanted to do and the service that he knows that he'll get from us, he was willing to pay, you know, extra. Brilliant, brilliant. To get Take you back to Debbie Romans and the, the mentorship. What was it about Debbie that made a good mentor? What do you, what do you think is the requirement for a, a good I think mentor? It, First of all, you need to be really well connected. I think in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, even up to 2005, 2006, if you mentioned the name Debbie Rummins in property circles, they would tell you where she is and what she was doing. Mm. She was well known yeah. in the industry. And by being well known, she had a vast amount of experience mm-hmm. uh, as well. And I think from a mentorship, you need to have that experience, be well known as well, so that you can pass you know, everything that you've learned 
onto other people. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully for me, you know, as I, I still meet Debbie for lunch and dinners now. Yes. Uh, I still ask her bits and pieces. As much as I'm the director here, she gives me advice on uh, things that I'm maybe wanting to do. So uh-huh. she's still an active uh, mentor, even though I'm, you know, in my early forties. And and was that sort of there must be a sort of openness in her attitude to be able to share that knowledge and not sort of lock it away and say, well, I learned that and I'm going to tell any other bugger that. And that was the great thing about Debbie, you know, if you if you did it the wrong way, she would soon tell you that you'd done it the wrong way, right. but then she would explain why it should have been done the other way. There was always that kind of yeah. learning yeah. that came with uh, with her mentorship. And I'm a great believer in that. You know, when I go away on holiday or any member of staff goes away on holiday, you should be able to go away on holiday and forget about your work mm. because everything is taken care of. You know, everybody knows how to do everything. Yes. You know, our property managers, they do inventories, they do viewings, they do inspections, they do accounts, they do, we try to make our staff an all-rounder yep. so as that if any part of the business needs them while someone's in holiday, yeah. they can fill in. Uh-huh. And I think for me it's making sure everybody has that ability yeah. and that's a great thing. It's not about, I know how to do this, so I'll just keep it to myself. Uh-huh. I have no qualms about taking people to board meetings or showing them how I do reports for uh, the directors uh, when we have our board meetings because everybody should know that information. Uh-huh. I'm uh-huh. more than happy to share all that with the team because, God forbid, if something happens to me, the business should still run. You know, there shouldn't be any issue where mm-hmm. if a member of staff's off sick long term, yeah. the business is not running because they have all this information. Mm-hmm. Everybody it should just be a, a matter of sharing all that information. Well, it's a team, and yeah. as with any team, if you've played any sort of sports, it's all about training, um, and there'll be reserves that can slot into any particular position. But if you don't take the time in training, then you're always going to be, it's never going to be a business. My definition of a business is that you can go away for three months, say, yeah. and the business will continue on without you because if you go away and that isn't you aren't able to do that ultimately you may call yourself a business but you're not a business you're just an employee a well-run business you should be able to go away for long periods of time and the business still continues to do what it is. but not only continue but actually grow yeah you don't, you don't specifically want to, need. You don't want to do yourself out of a job. job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do yourself out of a job when people are sitting and going, well, "What does he do? Do we actually need him? You know, the business runs okay. Yes. We, we've got uh-huh. growth there. What uh-huh. does he actually do? For us? Yes. Uh, so I don't want to do myself out of a job uh, from that point of view. Um, so the mentorship side of things, then, do you think? And certainly, I'm a big believer in that. I, various mentors throughout my career that if somebody is and I use this phrase all the time that we all stand on somebody else's shoulders um, and, and Kevin Space again this is the other quote I use is Kevin Space he always says that if you're lucky enough to make a success in anything you do make sure and send the elevator back down and certainly I'm of the view that if you are lucky enough to have been mentored by somebody there's almost an obligation upon you oh, to then move it forward and and help the next generation coming up and I use the word obligation but it's not an obligation because I think there's a desire and a wish to be able to help because I think if you've you know if you've been mentored well 
for many people, they wouldn't have actually got to where they are without that mentorship. Yeah. And I think you've got to have some sort of self-awareness to understand that. And if you do, then you should be more than happy to mentor people moving forward. And that's a huge thing for our business. Yeah. Whether it be in the factoring side, residential management or commercial or residential letting, mm-hmm. you know, the mentoring side of things, making sure staff know exactly, you know, spending the time with staff, going through training with them as well. It's taking all that time as a business yep. to make sure that everything that you're doing for the, the staff is making them a better employee. And by making them a better employee, the business wins out of that as well. Absolutely. The staff see that the business is investing time and money into them, want to make them better at what they do. Mm-hmm. And long term, the staff will stay with you. You know, whether they get approaches from the recruitment companies out there, they'll look at it and go, yeah, you know, that's nice, but... I'm really happy where I am, yeah. and it's creating that environment. It's that thing that Branson goes on about where he says, um, train them well enough so that they can do their job, but treat them well enough so they don't want to leave. Yeah. And that, I think that's, that's what exactly we've all got yeah. to try and aim for, and if you can get that sweet spot, then you, you know you're doing something right. Yeah, I think so. Good, 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 good. Um, what about uh, changes? Obviously, lots of changes in connection with the legislation side of things uh, vis-à-vis the lettings. Mortgages are getting, again, another hit with... Uh, I did a seminar there last week about uh, those landlords who've got four-plus properties, big changes as far as mortgages and how you can get those. I think that will have some sort of effect as far as the market is concerned. I do think that some landlords are just saying, you know what, it's just too difficult now. I can't make it all work. And I think that there will be properties that will be coming back onto the market, but there will be opportunities for people. I've no doubt about that. I think there will be. I mean, there's a huge change, uh, huge changes going on just now. Mm. You've got the new private rented uh, tenancy agreement that the government's uh, produced that's coming into force the 1st of December. So that's say goodbye to the short assured tenancy. Say goodbye to the short assured tenancies. Uh, It'll all be, you know, PRTs. And any length, but the, the tenant can walk after... 28 days well as soon as they, as soon as they move in they so can they could just well, almost on a month to month days. yeah they'll in effect be on a month to month but I, I thought the whole thing about the legislation was to try and ensure that the tenant had security of, of, of tenure you can well, still presume been, sign a two year lease or, a, or however yeah. long you want I think one of the big things that the government uh, wanted to do was remove the no fault ground that was in the current short assured tenancy so a landlord could wake up tomorrow and decide do you know what I don't want a tenant in my property anymore but does that happen? in our experience no but why don't the politicians ask you the guys? the problem got is that they don't listen to the people that are on uh, on the ground doing it uh, from that point that but that's point. just not lettings. That's that's yeah, solicitors that's, as far as the stamp duty is concerned. I think that's probably. I think that's industry wide. Uh-huh. And politicians uh, wide as well. Uh-huh. You know, people would want a fixed term. You know, of six months, and then it mo- moves on to a rolling mm. monthly contract, uh, or another six months, or another six yeah. months. And what they've done is they've reshaped the the grounds that you can recover the property uh, under mm-hmm. now that the no fault grounds away. And a lot of our clients and investors were concerned about that. Yeah. But when when we looked at it, why do you? I mean, at the end of the day, why does an investor or a landlord want their property back? They want it back to sell it. They want it back to 
move into. Mm-hmm. So there are two mandatory gr- r- grounds that are there. Yeah. So there shouldn't be no. an issue. And for us throughout this, this has been ongoing for about the last year. Yeah. We've been educating our landlords and clients throughout the process, making sure that they know that all these changes are coming into force. And I do a monthly newsletter that goes out to all the clients mm-hmm. uh, with their uh, rental statements, keeping them up to date on things. And people will come back and ask, well, how does this affect me? And yeah. you go back and explain it to them. And it's just about dealing with, dealing with it at the end of the day. Nobody can change what the government's doing. Yeah, we just need to get on, you know, get it done and get on with it. Yeah. Do you think though that, as far as valuing business is concerned, clearly prior to the new legislation coming in, you had a definite six months minimum of income coming in. Now you don't have that, and the mac the, the guarantee you've got is that. You've only potentially got a month. I wonder if that will have an effect as to valuing of the businesses are, are concerned. It it may do. Most mm-hmm. businesses will be able to tell you and show you on some spreadsheet what their average time to let is, what their average tenancy uh-huh. is as well. I understand the reasons that the government did away with the no fault ground. You know, there might be people that are in relationships and they're tied to a property for six months they want to get out but for me but these people it's just such a small percentage for me when we heard about that and you think well if that was you as a letting agent and your tenant was in a situation like that you would approach your landlord and say look this is the situation the tenant's in let's work together to get the tenant out of that situation and out of the property mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten the landlord will say yeah let's work with you on that yeah uh, so yeah. it's such a hassle from a landlord's perspective you would you would rather have them from my p- personal point of view I'd rather have them in for five years because that's because you can my, budget on that because my play is based upon well I want them there to pay my mortgage so that in the end of the day that's my pension I mean I, I just I hate September's I've just gone through September we've had three flats that I've had to change and it's just it's just it's a manic time oh, the whole summer September. like July, August, September, October just building up building it up just uh-huh. seems to, that's what we were talking the guys in the office uh, our August was exceptional yeah uh, really busy did really well burst our targets and then when we were at September we went, do you know what I think we were actually busier in September than we were in August and looking at the stats from last year yeah. September was actually quieter last year than it was uh, this year it just seems to be getting mm. busier and busier and gone are the days where it was like six months you know your first six months of the year were relatively quiet uh-huh. and then your last six months yeah. it's now 11 or 12 months uh-huh. and we were last I mean last year we were moving people right into flats up until Christmas Eve Wow. Uh, and then we closed over Christmas and New Year and when we came back at New Year and opened up we were moving people out and moving people in yeah. and it was just a constant all the way through the year You were talking there about governments not listening to the practitioners on the ground and then coming up with legislation the, the best story I heard about that back in the day when we were talking you had to have um some people were having five or six surveys on a, you know, before they actually bought something, uh-huh. and you were racking up costs, etc. Scheme um, one in your scheme two. Scheme surveys. one in the scheme two is okay, but the solicitors and then so the government said, well, we're going to do away with this, and we're going to bring in this thing called the Home Report with, from from England, um, and by all accounts, maybe it's apocryphal, but um, Donald Dewar, God rest his soul 
Apparently he was round a dinner table, was so hacked off that he couldn't get a, a property for his son or daughter that he said, well, that's, we need to change this. And it led from that. But what he didn't see, or what he didn't, he didn't get people to see, was the solicitors and the surveyors had already sorted out a, a solution yeah. in that you just put offers in subject to survey. So you never actually did a survey until you got the property until it was secured uh-huh. and you knew that your offer was going to be uh-huh. but they, they just rode roughshod over that and thought no we'll just £700 or whatever for a home report and then <laughs> funny, the irony is of course that it came from England and then England thought it was a very stupid idea and they binned it <laughs> so we are left holding the baby I, I thought oh, every time and it's the, do you know when you look at I suppose Scotland and England uh-huh. uh, England residential letting is going through a process just now with all the fees they get charged to tenants when they move in. Yes. You know, they'll pay admin fees, check-in fees, uh-huh. in fees, on top of the fee. Rents, the on fee. top of the fee. Uh-huh. So, you know, I've got a friend that rents down south and he was, on top of his rent and deposit, it was about another seven or £800 in admin fees, which I think is outrageous, whereas up in Scotland, there's no admin fees at all. You no. can only charge a tenant for rent and deposit. And it's a transparency. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's the the whole thing about it. And you look at England with the home report coming up here, we're left adopting it. But whereas up here we outlawed the admin fees so that the tenants didn't have to pay any referencing fees or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Whereas in England, you know, you see them guys are paying seven, eight, nine hundred pounds on top uh-huh. of what they've all, which I just and, think's outrageous. And, and almost being ambushed because they weren't made aware of what these additional costs would be. Yeah. Um, Whereas uh, now they need to advertise them on their website. Yes. All the additional fees uh-huh. that they're going to have to I mean, I th- have I th- to I'm a such a strong believer of transparency in anything that, that, that you do. And when it comes to fees, you've got to be absolutely crystal clear. You can't be seen to be ambushing your client at the end of the day. I, I was on Facebook last night and various property forums and there was one... Uh, one person who had said that they had been quoted a, a fee of five four nine five or five nine five plus that uh, and outlays by the solicitor. So this uh, person had said, "Well, that'll be around about nine hundred pounds." Once you add on the registration dues, the property and buying call reports, uh, all those things. Aha, uh-huh. um, and so nine hundred pounds. That's fine. Bill came in fifteen hundred quid, and I'm thinking, how can that possibly be? Yeah. And what the solicitor had done was that the solicitor had added on things like uh, fee for completing the LBTT form, uh, fee for uh, preparing the documentation for the registration dues, bog standard stuff that every single solicitor incorporates yeah. into that, that fee. So this, and I, I went back on and I said, listen, surely to goodness they've given you a terms of business because if they've not given you a terms of business, then you're off to the law society and you're mm-hmm. for the high jump. Um, and she said that she it, they issued her a terms of business 18 months ago, right? But it had changed, but hadn't informed her. And I said, well, listen, you need to get back on yeah. and either say, listen, you're off to the law society or what are you going to do about it? And then she then puts a post in, £400 off. I mean, there's so many things wrong with that. Transparency being one, how can you have a business model that allows you to ambush your client? Where's that going? 
that, cl- that, that client going to sing your praises? I know, but we see that in residential letting as well. You know, we're all about transparency. Right. Have, our fees are out there. They're in the managed agreement. There is no add-ons that we do. Uh-huh. You know, whether it be inspections, inventories, move-in appointments, all of these things, they're all encompassed in your management fee. Yeah. We don't add on anything for that. Uh-huh. And, you know, when we're taking on properties that other agents have been managing, the clients have been saying, well, I've been getting it for 7%. Uh, well, what was your add? Oh, well, we didn't find out until the tenant had moved in. There was a cost for the inventory. Yeah. There was a cost to move them in. You know, before they know all those add-ons, it's when they get their first statement in. Yeah. Well, on that's 10%. Yeah. Oh, where does all that add up to? Yeah, yeah. So that's how we always believe in being open and honest and transparent at the beginning. And it's the way that we do business. Mm-hmm. You know, if people aren't going to be transparent with us and honest we'll not do business with them. Yeah. And we've turned, you know, I've personally turned away business because when you've went and met the client, thought, I don't like the way that you're maybe self-managing them yourself mm-hmm. and you want me to take them on. It doesn't sit well with how we do business. Uh-huh. So because we've it, turned away business just uh-huh. for the fact that it yeah. doesn't stack up. Yeah. If they're not, if they come to you and they're not your type of, of client or the one they're trying to chip away at price and, and what have you, they're not the kind of clients that you want because they'll always be a bleeding sore. You know, they'll yeah. always have a problem. Um, and I just think you can be doing without that because you're, you, you then, you're not making as, uh, you're not making as, as much profit um, from them. Um, and they, they just become more needy um, just because they don't fit into to your and whether, it be, whether it be a landlord or whether it be a tenant that's the model that we have we yes. spend the time with the tenant at the beginning explaining everything to them yep. we then once they've signed their lease we then meet them at the property we show them where the gas meter is the electricity meter is you know how everything works the boiler the heating giving them spending that time and giving them a bit of reassurance building a relationship with mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and it's the same with the landlords it's about being transparent at the beginning and building that relationship. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you, if generally, if you've got a very good relationship with your tenant and your landlord, when the tenancy comes to an end, if there's maybe something to come off the deposit, you might find that the landlord will turn around and say, well, do you know, Jonathan, he's been in there for three, four years. He's been a really good tenant. Uh-huh. He's kept the property really well. Yeah. I was going to have to replace the carpets anyway. Yeah, so- that iron burn that's there just give him his full deposit back uh-huh, uh-huh. and that's the way that we run and build our business yeah. you know working with those sort of people uh-huh. they want to work with the tenants because the brand is so important and once you've built the brand it's so easy for that for people to chip away at that brand so you've got to be continuing to be strong yeah. as far as that and brand you know yourself, message is concerned you can go out and take on properties for the sake of taking on properties yeah, yeah. and it, it would look great on a spreadsheet that you're bringing on mm. 30 new properties a, a month but if those 30 are 29 that's going back out the door uh-huh. because they've all got issues and we're a firm believer of it needs to work for us as well uh-huh. because I think what you'll end up doing is that you potentially end up not getting as much money because you've, you've, you're you've giving discounts there but as soon as you start giving discounts what you tend to find is that those people that you're giving discounts are the ones that are the hassle throughout from day, from day one yeah through to the end or terminating of the contract. It's and that's just, how it's we not stand, stand firm on our fees. Yeah. If somebody wants us to negotiate, we won't, 
you'll have a look at it and see what they want you to negotiate. Uh-huh. But generally, we'll stand firm because we're a firm believer in the service that Spears Gumley uh, offer. It's a very good service. It's great value for money. Uh, and that's just the way that, that we want to do it. We mm-hmm. not negotiate. Yeah. I suppose it's not like the government, we won't negotiate with terrorists. We'll always kind of talk to people. Yeah. But yeah. for me, the staff do a great job. And the staff are what we build this business on. And uh-huh. By us reducing our fees to bring on one extra property, that's diluting what our staff do. Yeah. You know, it's saying, well, we can get this a wee bit cheaper, but what you actually do is maybe just a wee bit cheaper. And the problem with that is that as soon as your staff realise what you're doing and you then try at the meetings to say, well, listen, this is the brand, blah, 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 and they're thinking, well, hold on, you might be saying that, but that's not how you're yeah. treating us. Or, or, and that's what we try to show to consistency. the staff, the consistency. Yeah. You know, we'll go through the valuations of people, why didn't we get that? Oh, well, Jimmy down the road was charging 3% with uh-huh. no add-ons. Yeah. It's like, well, that's fine. If that's what you're charging, that doesn't fit in our business model. And it gives the staff the reassurance that what we've got up here it's the customer service. Yeah. You know, it's all about believing in themselves and believing in the product. Brilliant. So you've mentioned their customer service. We've, we've, we've started with that. Um, and it seems a, a good time just to, I guess, end with that. But before we go, we've got our 10 questions. All right, good. But I've sort of mixed this up a bit oh, because I know you've already done the 10. Oh, no. <laughs> so there might be something different. I had all my answers <laughs> So first tier football? Uh, it's got to be, oh, gosh. That's a tough one. Uh, with me being a Partick Thistle fan as well. I said football. Oh, come on. Partick <laughs> Thistle are doing all right. They're doing okay. They haven't won a game. They? I'm probably, they've not won it, but they've been close. They've been close. <laughs> uh, the and I got involved in it because uh, my dad's got a season ticket and uh, my son and my nephew have got tickets. So I go along and I've kind of been adopted there. Golf would probably seasonal for me. Right. So I'd probably say football. Okay. First football match that you went to watch? Uh, first football match that I went to watch. Gosh. It was probably a Celtic Rangers game. Oh my God, right, starting at the top. And it was only because I worked in the Marriott at the time, and I think one of the Celtic's PR people had a gym membership there, right? and he got his tickets. So I think it was one of the old firm games. Right. It was one of the first football games I went to. I remember my first football game was Aberdeen against Partick Thistle in the main stand, and we had to stand. It was it was a guy who was at school, like a Campbell Dean. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The, the, the three brothers. And he invited us all to, and his father, I think, had something to do. Because his, his uncle was Gordon Jackson from yeah. the professionals. And he had, and of course, they knew the Hansons or something. And I think Alan Hansen was playing at the time. Um, and it was Aberdeen. I think Doug Rugby was playing, and uh-huh, it was back in the day. Joey Harper, I think, was playing oh, as well. You're bringing them all out now. <laughs> <laughs> Make me feel old. <laughs> um, so, first medal. Uh, first medal, medal. sporting uh, curling. Uh, well, we Scottish, yeah, that, Scottish Girls right. Championing. I was, what, 88? Uh, and only latterly I've got back into curling. You were saying uh, that last back time. Into curling. Okay. Uh, I was curling last, last Monday. Right. Uh, so again, that seasonal kind of works well for me because it work, It starts up uh, September, runs through to March, uh-huh. and then the kind of golf season kind of runs through the so summer and then pick up the football as well. So tell us a bit about Curling then. So you've got the skip and he's like the captain. Yep, skip's the captain of the team. And makes all the decisions. Yeah. And does everybody throw up a, a stone? stone yeah, uh-huh. everybody, you all have two stones each. Right. Uh, the, the lead person is obviously number one in the team. They'll throw the first two stones and right. everybody will sweep them. 
Uh, but the skip's probably the only one that doesn't do a lot of sweeping. No. Because they're the captain of the team. And he's the one with the strategy. Yeah. And do, is it very much, I suppose, it depends upon what kind of team you're in. But I guess some skips, are, it, it will be, it's my way, my strategy or the highway. And there'll be others who will maybe be a wee bit more integrating and listen to other tactics. Yeah, and I suppose curling's a bit like balls as well. It's all about reading the ice. Uh-huh. You know, people might think that you throw the stone down the middle and it'll go straight. It won't. It'll go off to the left or it'll go off to the right. So right. you need to know where you're going to start uh-huh. and then kind of try and curl the, the stone in. But yeah, generally, the skips are, it's their, uh, their way or the high. It's my ball. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, first car? First car, a Nissan Sunny 1.6 GX and it was in gold. Uh, and I even remember the Reggie of it. G890PUS. Wow. Uh, Stereo. It was a great, oh, it was a cassette player that was in it and it was (laughs) was broken into as well. Uh, And I managed to get a CD, a single CD player put back in the insurance. uh, Yeah, in its place. Right. So that was my fact, was what, in 94? There'll be no central Uh, locking there then. Oh no, I loved that car. Uh, when I got it it had done 88,000 miles sorry I know it was 88,000 and tell the audience what you paid for that then oh I got it my dad got me so I didn't uh, didn't pay for it and how long did it last for 88,000 miles 88,000 and it was great I don't know if it was a Nissan thing but every time you turned off the ignition the engine would still tick over so you could go into the house and then you would just hear the engine cutting out. Is that not normal? That happens to my car. Have you got an Nissan as well? No, no, a Volvo. <laughs> a Volvo, well, I think Volvos are a bit better. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I had that for about four four or five years. Right. But yeah, I loved that car. Uh-huh. Beige upholstery. Yeah, oh, it was brilliant. That car went everywhere. Do you like cars? Yeah, I do, yeah. Do you? I do. I can't I abide I've them. Had, I've, had some, I've had some nice cars throughout the years. Right. But uh, my first, I think your first car is always going to be uh, the one that sticks out your yeah, yeah. mind. And did it have a name? Uh, no. Right. Didn't, didn't have a name or anything. I had a, I had a Datsun Cherry. And I remember, it was, I used to call it the bomb. And, and uh, interestingly, I now call my Volvo the bomb. So that probably tells you the state of, of repair of my Volvo. Um, but I remember my girlfriend at the time, she was in a 2CV and she had, and the thing was forever breaking down. And we were up in Aberdeen. And I remember... But then she broke down in a, a roundabout, and so I came to the rescue. We got the the tow bar, okay, onto the back of mine, tied it. You know what's going to happen here, and so we put it into first, and then I zoom off, only to realise that my bumper is now flapping away. <laughs> so the rust had just completely shredded my oh, bumper. <laughs> so I ended up having to tie the bumper on. It, needless to say, it didn't make its MOT the next back year. In those days, I mean, that was what, 94 I had that uh, in this. Uh, I think they were great learning cars. Yes. There wasn't a lot, when it went wrong, you could probably fix it. There wasn't a lot of the modern day electronics. No, and fair point. You know, if yeah. anything goes wrong with your car now, God, it needs to be an astrophysicist to go in and uh-huh. fix it. Yeah. Whereas back then, oh, you could tinker about with the engine. Yeah. It was all very basic. Uh-huh. It just, I think, got too modern. But would I go back to it? Probably not. Now. No, no. Um, films that talk about films. First Blood or Rambo? Oh. Or it should be, sorry, I keep getting that wrong. It should yeah. be First Blood or Rocky. First Blood or Rocky. Stallone. Are you a both Rocky both, fan or a... They're both. I would probably go with First Blood. Wow. First Blood. Most Only, people say Rocky. Yeah, no, I'd probably Are go with like? First Blood. Probably when they were out, when I was at school, eh, when I was at Kelvin Side, we had the cadets. 
at school, right. so you did kind of like Army, Navy, or Air Force cadets oh, right. from uh-huh. third year to sixth year. Yeah. So I was in uh, the Army one. So you know, at school, you got to go and shoot guns and and be like Rambo running about fields with the real <laughs> army. So yeah, first blood. First blood. First house. Uh, first house was my flat in the West End. Okay. Bought it for? Uh, God, would I buy it for 110000 at the time? Okay. Make any money out of it? Uh, yeah, I made a reasonable amount yeah. of money out of it. Nobody likes to talk about the figures. <laughs> um, first girlfriend? Oh, gosh. Because really, with it being Facebook Live as well, everybody's <laughs> seen that. Uh, first girlfriend? Oh, it's got it back to maybe my college days. Right. If you're talking, are we, we going to get a name? If you're talking serious girlfriend, uh, when did I start college? I started college '94, so it was Samantha O'Hare. All right, uh, I remember her. She was friends with Kirsty Donnelly. And as we speak, she's everybody's typing Samantha O'Hare well, into Facebook. She's probably married. She's probably married. Uh, <laughs> kids are different, but that was first kind of proper girlfriend. Right. She was much taller than me. Was she? Uh, she was at least six foot. Uh, <laughs> red hair, long red hair. But right. Uh, I can see you fondly thinking back to the day. But we'll move on. We'll move on. That was my college days. Things are different now. Absolutely. Um, And then finally, first film. What was the first film? The first film would be Flatliners that I went to see with Julia Roberts and and Sutherland's in that. Kiefer Sutherland. Right. Uh, Quite dark. It was quite dark. And it was at the Odeon in Renfield Street. Uh I went with one of my pals. It was a 15 at the time. And I was only 14, but you know that you always had that pal that looked older. Yeah, yeah. Was. So uh-huh. he went up and got the tickets and uh, went right. and watched that. But it's great to see Keith Sutherland. Uh, I've actually started watching Designated Survivor on Netflix. Oh, okay, yeah. He's yeah. in that uh, yeah. as an American president, and I think he's a great actor. I never uh-huh. watched any of the 24. Uh, yeah, but watching him in uh, this designated survivor is a great actor. But yeah, it's a good film. It was always one of those ones. Julia Roberts is in it. Well, what's not to like? What's not to like about that? You're 14 <laughs> years of age. You got into a 15 uh, cinema uh, film as well. So yeah, good, good. And listen, what's not to like about the Bricks and Mortar, uh, Bricks and Mortar podcast? Hopefully, you've enjoyed that one, um, Robert. Thanks very much. Thank it's been a much. pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, that was a that was a good one. God, that was a good one. My girlfriend just now was like, oh, okay. What do you mean? You've had a past life. As soon as somebody puts you on the spot, you can remember them just like that. You know that you're supposed to forget that you've ever had any relationships right. or anything throughout life. Uh-huh. I hope you think that about me when I end up pinning you because you're pinned. That was good. Could you enjoy that? Yeah, it was good. Uh-huh. The one thing I really enjoy about doing the podcast is all the different types of people that we get to interview and we always try and have a bit of a laugh and and we try and do that by doing the 10 questions at the end and I have to say everyone to a man or woman who's come on and had a chat with me, um, we've we've always had a bit of a laugh and, and long may that continue. Next week, we've got a personal trainer.
coming on. Uh, it's a bit of a, a going to be a bit of a different show. I think I've not done the interview. I've, I've organised the interview for next Friday. So he's coming through from Edinburgh, personal trainer, chap by the name of Edvis. Uh, I've known him or known of him through the BNI network, and uh, I know. Of, of people who've commented upon his work and he's quite keen on the sort of mindset stuff and the mindfulness stuff so it's going to be a little bit of a different episode how much property we're going to talk about I'm not too sure but we'll certainly get uh, we'll drill down and dive pretty deep as far as mindset and mindfulness is concerned so I'm a big proponent of that big fan of that so I'm really looking forward to to having a chat with Edvis when he comes on. I'm going to wind up things just before I do that, just tell you about the, the new venture that we're looking at um, moving forward. Probably talk to you about that over the next couple of episodes. It's going to involve a new website, um, pretty much a, a new start for me, still doing the mortgage side of things. Uh, but uh, I'll just leave that out there and uh, for those of you who know me pretty well will already obviously know what's happening in the background but for the audience of the Bricks and Mortar podcast I'll just keep you dangling for another couple of weeks. Finally let's talk feedback we're starting to get as I say a bit of traction out there and the feedback is slowly dribbling in and uh, you know good bad indifferent you know we need to get feedback from you the audience and so it would be great if you could leave some feedback for me you can either do that on the website itself uh, you can also get in touch with me on LinkedIn or drop me an email at jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk all feedback is appreciated as I say good bad or indifferent and as I say the post that we'd got on um, on the uh, on the Facebook was uh, was telling me that, that I should be on stage I'm not quite too sure about that but I will have to uh, start brushing up on my Shakespearean soliloquies uh, but more of that maybe next week I'm going to sign off uh, before I do one podcast as you know I started the podcast because I listened to podcasts when I was out training and running and uh, obviously still do that. But one podcast that I'm really hooked on at the moment is something called The Art of Charm. The Art of Charm, great podcast. Download that, get that onto your uh, podcast player of choice. It is all about uh, an American solicitor, American lawyer, who no longer practices, but he is very much keen on the social sciences and how you tick. And it's just, it, it's got, he's got so many great interviews. One interview I was listening to there last week is that if you have taken any interest in the in YouTube, you will have heard of Admiral McRaven. Admiral McRaven, he is the Admiral who is, I think, I think he's chairman or chairperson at the University of Texas, and he did the closing speech. This is dating back to 2014, and it was all about how doing very small things uh, lines you up for doing bigger things 
in your day and so he was a very much uh, all about making your bed and that if you can make your bed every day then that will be something positive that you've done and then you can use that to start doing more positive things throughout the day just a classic classic um, speech and the guy's name Admiral McRaven and he's a Navy SEAL just brilliant interview get the Art of Charm onto your podcast and then type in the search bar uh, Admiral McRaven brilliant superb but listen that's the Art of Charm this is the Bricks and Mortar podcast as ever it is your property podcast it's episode 49 we're going to do episode 50 next week have a good week in property and we'll see you next week